again, I, I went into this last time we were together and uh, actually spent, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes on it. And I'm not going to do that tonight. But it is amazing in the mind of God how he wants us to understand that he has everything in control from the beginning to the end. And as we look at these last days, and especially the last seven years uh, of life on planet Earth as we know it before the thousand-year millennial reign begins, it's a hellish time where the devil takes control, but it is still within God's power. It's within God's preview. He's telling us thousands of years in advance. One day, I'm gonna let the devil take over. So, you know. And it's not something I thought of like the year before. I'm telling you thousands of years in advance this is gonna happen. And, And again, I think it's so important because so many times we're in the midst of a world that the Bible tells us so predominantly that Satan is here. There's a real devil. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And on top of that, Adam and Eve sinned and bringing pain and suffering and death into the world. And we know that. And I, and I hope that we understand that. And so when we're suffering, uh, I remember Chuck Smith uh, telling his story when he was uh, a high school camp and a, and a kid got stuck with a big bad thorn and he, Chuck had to help him pull it out and he was bleeding and he was hurting and, 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 the, and the kid, he's like, are you okay? And he goes, oh, that dog, dadgum Adam, I'm so mad at him right now for sinning, you know, because the thorns and, you know, and, and it just, Chuck just started laughing. They all started laughing. It's, it's important that we remember when we're suffering, when we're in pain, when there's a real evil attacking us and people we love and it hurts, that, that it's not because God's weak. It's not because God doesn't love us. It's not because there is no God. It's not because God doesn't answer prayer and all the other lies that the devil throws at us, right? I mean, the Bible tells us he's gonna answer prayer and God's gonna not answer prayer. That God is gonna deliver us and heal us and do miracles for us. And then there's gonna be times like the Apostle Paul prayed three times, Lord, this messenger of Satan, deliver me. And God says, no. And you're gonna even get weaker, Paul. (laughs) But as you get weaker, my strength's gonna be more. And we have to understand that. There's all of those things in between. And, and so as we look at the book of Revelation, if you would, it sort of screams to us where things are heading. And that all of history is heading that way. And we see it more and more each year. And you know, years ago, I heard somebody d- describe it the best way as God's letting the leash out on the dog a little more each year until eventually when it comes to the tribulation period, he just lets go of the chain. And you know, the dog runs wild and crazy. Um, but there's always a chain. And God can grab the chain and you know, hook the devil right back up to that chain uh, anytime he desires. 
And uh, why he's allowing all of this, he doesn't explain. But he, he does let us know. And of course, um, as Christians, it tells us that the, the, the demon's deceptiveness is gonna get heavy and heavier. Um, the love of ourself, the love of pleasure, the love of the world, all of these demonic loves are gonna grow and grow on the planet. And, and it tells us that we are gonna be tempted to walk away from our faith, that some are gonna walk away from their faith. It says in 1 Timothy 4.1. Um, and and in, in 2 Timothy uh, 3, it tells us it's gonna be a difficult time. And I think a lot of the difficulty is if we're on the fence going, am I gonna love pleasure rather than I love God? Or am I gonna deny myself and lose my life in this world and love the Lord? And I think a lot of the difficulty is just being on the fence. And just instead of saying, I'm not gonna love myself. I'm not gonna love the world. I'm not gonna love pleasure rather than God. I'm gonna take up my cross. I'm gonna follow him. And you know, the decision's been made. And it's gonna get harder to, to, to follow the Lord. It's gonna get more painful to, to follow the Lord. It's gonna cost me more to follow the Lord. It's gonna get bloodier and more painful every day as the history moves forward to the rapture of the church. And that's reality. And that's the picture the Bible paints. And this is why I think in, in Revelation, again, God says there's a blessing if you read this because it, it, again, explains much of the things that hopefully we as Christians will not be seen. <laughs> we'll be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But if there is compromise in us, this, uh, these pictures will burn it out of us and to, and to realize that whatever pleasure we may get, it will not be worth the suffering of the tribulation period, even if uh, we make it as believers through that tribulation period, right? So in chapter 12, 13, and 14, it's really probably the, the, the stuff that people think about the most when they think about revelation, the Antichrist, the Mark 666, and these kind of things. And so, um, Really, when people are asking you about the book of Revelation and they're, well, tell me about that Antichrist, the beast, or whatever. It's chapters 12, 13, and 14 they're thinking about. And so in chapter 13, verse one, looking at this Antichrist, the beast, the Mark 666, the dragon, Satan, the devil. It says, and then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, seven horns, and on his horns, 10 crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now, you, you might say, well, hold it. In chapter 12, verse three, in chapter 12, verse three, notice there, it says, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery, this time, instead of calling him the beast, he's called the red dragon, having seven heads, Let's go back, look in chapter 13, verse one. Seven heads, we're good. 10 horns, yep, that's the same. Chapter 13, verse one, and chapter 12, verse three, the same. And then seven diadems, the same word, crowns. Exact same word as in Revelation 13, one. Although it's translated here, diadems. It's the same exact word in the Greek as crown. Seven crowns. And so you say, hold it, hold it. Uh, why does it have... 10 crowns in, in verse one here, and it had seven crowns in um, chapter 12, verse three. 
And both times it has seven heads. And, and so again, um, with this picture, it's, it's really irrelevant because it's all very clearly explained in the book of Daniel. Revelation here, chapter 12, is repeating in a, in a shortened version uh, Daniel, much of the book of Daniel. And in there, it explains there are, are 10 kingdoms. And three of the kingdoms are taken out by the Antichrist. And then he sort of dissolves them into 10 kingdoms still, but down into seven actual. So the 10 kingdoms is the same populace of people, the same land mass, uh, if you would, of the Roman Empire. But he takes out three of the kingdoms and then rules with the seven kingdoms uh, but it's still the same amount. So it's sort of, sort of a little confusing there. But seven, if you remember, in the Bible is the number of perfection. And so he has a, a perfect world rule. In particular, seven uh, horns, seven crowns, representing his power. We're gonna discover there, there's no place on earth the person who doesn't submit to the Antichrist can hide. If he doesn't get the Mark 666 and worship the Antichrist, he, he's gonna be caught. He's gonna be persecuted, probably beheaded. No matter what hole you climb into, no matter what part of the world you're in from, that revived Roman Empire is gonna be ruled uh, the world. And the seven, again, horns or the seven crowns, it's it's a perfection. And sort of repeating that, if you would, it's a it's a a perfected world empire. And then also in, in, in chapter 12, verse three, remember there, it's the beast and now we, it was the red dragon and now it's the beast. And, and we know who this is. In verse nine of chapter 12, verse nine, it says, this great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old. Going all the way back to Genesis, isn't it? The guy, the devil, Satan. Is there any question who this is? The one who deceives the whole world. He loses his wings. Remember, he's cast to the earth. So he no longer has the, the heavenlies to, to go space-wise. He's out of the spiritual realm. Um, and he's limited, if you would, um, from being able to cruise to the heavenlies like him and the other fallen angels were. They're all cast down. Now, in the 60s, 70s, there was a guy by the name of Hal Lindsey. He wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. How many of you guys re- have read that book? You can go back to not raising your hand. You, you said there wasn't night people. Okay, there's a few of you. And um, he, he sort of took this whole thing and can di- can put it, made it real condensed down. But he didn't do a real good job on documenting where it was. And he just made up a lot of terminology that within the Jesus movement that picked up, they just, um, just started using the terminology. And one of the terms that sort of came forth was the word the Antichrist. And so a lot of people are more f- familiar with that. Oh, the Antichrist. And, and so they go, where, you know, I've had, I mean, hundreds of times people say, where in Revelation? I read it three times. I still can't find the word Antichrist, you know? Uh, they're confident that, that that word's gonna be in there. 
that word is actually uh, nowhere in, in prophetic scripture. It's actually used four times in First and Second John. Let, let me read this to you. In First John chapter 2, verse 18, little children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard, here it is, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, there are, what? Many Antichrists who have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Now, when we look at the word anti, our, our first knee-jerk reaction is against, right? Antichrist, against Christ. And it can have that meaning. But in the Greek and in the context, it's actually instead of Christ. And this, is, this was always Satan's plan. He never wanted to replace Jesus. He wanted Jesus to remain but minimized and Satan wanted to be lifted up equal to. Remember in Isaiah 14, I will be lifted up, I will be what? As the most high God. Not I'm gonna replace God. He wanted there to be the father and the sons, Jesus and Lucifer, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's what, and it's interesting that many cults, which all cults are from Satan, uh, they have that doctrine, don't they? You, you think of the Mormons. Who do they teach Lucifer is? The brother of Jesus, didn't he? They were both on the nether planet, Koloth. Uh, these goofballs. Oh, I can't believe we didn't get a Mormon president. We needed him so bad. Uh, I can't believe that one. But anyway, um, the Muslim president or a Mormon president, I, I don't know. But the whole idea is, is Lucifer and Jesus, they were both men with wives on this planet, but they were good Mormons there. And they proved themselves worthy to be God of their own planet because if you're a good Mormon, uh, don't drink coffee and tea and, uh, you know, get several wives to populate your next planet and so forth. You, you could be a God on your own planet someday. And, and so he made a new planet called Earth and he went to the two, two of the people that would be gods, there's many gods, and uh, he said, hey, I got this new planet, I'd like to hear what's your proposal, how would you rule this planet? And Jesus said, I'll rule them with kindness, and Lucifer said, I'm gonna rule them and make them, you know, obey me or whatever, and so Elohim, their father, gave the planet to Jesus, and the brother Lucifer just made him angry, so ever since, he's been trying to destroy his brother's work. But he, he is a god, also. So these are the concepts. And of course, you know, Jehovah Witnesses, Jesus is an angel, minimized. Um, So that was really his desire. Uh, Instead of, or equals to, uh, to have another one. So these other religions, there's many antichrists. Um, He's talking here about the Gnostic religions in 1 John that had teachings of Jesus, but Jesus, it was different. He was a phantom spirit. He was never a complete uh, inhuman uh, form. He never was uh, born of a virgin, as the Bible teaches and so forth. Just instead of another, another doctrine with Jesus in it. Um, and again, uh, the Muslim religion has Jesus as a good prophet in it. The Hindus have Jesus as a good prophet in it. You know, it's interesting that a lot of the major religions of the world don't, don't kick Jesus out 
and say Jesus is the enemy. It's like, no, he's a wonderful prophet. Bring him in. He's, one of, he's a part of our Hindu religion. He's a part of our Muslim religion. He's a part, you know, but they're, they're minimizing who he is. He's not the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all. He's an angel or a God of many gods. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, uh, again it says here, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. There's one God. We don't have three gods. We have one God. But that one God is in three persons. So if you change in any way the three persons of God, you have a different religion. First uh, John chapter four, verse three. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And Gnostics didn't. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So, uh, you know, this is right after Jesus uh, died and rose again uh, within a century. Um, you know, almost 2,000 years ago, the Antichrist spirit was in the world operating at that time. In Second John chapter, or Second John chapter, Second John, verse seven, there's no chapters. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the, a deceiver and an antichrist. So what really are other titles of this world ruling emperor of a revived Roman Empire? Let me give you some of his titles. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, we he is called the little horn. Remember the little horn who takes out three of the other kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 23, the king of fierce countenance. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, the prince that shall come. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 to 45, the willful king. In Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17, a worthless shepherd. There's a good title for him. In John chapter five, verse 43, one who comes in his own name. Remember Jesus said, I've come in my father's name and you hate me, but if one comes in his own name or his own character, his own nature, you'll love him, you'll receive him, and indeed the Jews are gonna do that very thing. When the Antichrist comes that first three and a half years, they're gonna think he's the greatest thing that's ever happened. We're gonna see that here in chapter 13 of uh, Revelation. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter two, verse 23, the son of perdition. You know who else had that title, right? Judas. It means waste, loss. And again, he was the, the greatest of God's creation, the perfection of beauty. Um, and uh, Judas also, what an amazing opportunity he had, but wasted it, threw it away. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three calls him the man of sin or in second Thessalonians two, three or two, eight, the lawless one. And um, I think I use that term the most of all of them, the lawless one. And now, of course, here in Revelation, we can call him the fiery red dragon or the beast or the serpent of old. Um, there's these titles but because of Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, I, I'll say the lawless one, 
Huh? Uh, the son of perdition? Huh? You know, the beast? What? The Antichrist? Oh, now I know who you're talking about. So I find myself sort of culturally using that title more and more as, as well. But again, people get tripped up because it's not in Daniel or the book of Revelation. Well, so we find here in, in chapter 13, verse one, he is raising up this beast. Now, we need to go and, and look, and you might wanna turn over there in Daniel because we're gonna look in several verses here tonight as I forewarned you last time we were together, we had do this. In Daniel chapter seven, we're gonna see the, the seven and the 10, the seven and 10 horns. And it says in chapter, Daniel seven, verse seven and eight, after this, I saw in the night vision and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had 10 horns. I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little horn coming up among them before whom the three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. And going on, skipping in Daniel chapter seven, verse 23 to 25, thus he said, now he's explaining more about this fourth beast because then he goes on and he has some other descriptions. Now he's coming back. And he said, now this fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be dread, uh, different from all the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. And the 10 horns are, here it is, what? 10 kings who shall rise from that, this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words. Same thing as we saw back in in verse eight. And he speaks these against who? The most high. Shall persecute the saints of the most high. Shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time's time, a half a time. That's three and a half years, uh, the, the believers. And we're gonna talk about that some more. And so we see here again in Daniel chapter seven, verse eight, as it tells us here in Revelation 3, 1, uh, that he's gonna, he's gonna have a blasphemous name. And notice in, Revel- in Daniel chapter seven, verse eight, it says his mouth will speak pompous words or blasphemous words. And in verse 25, Daniel seven twenty-five, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. And in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, it tells us this, then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak, here it is, blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished and what has been determined shall be done. In 2 Thessalonians 2.4, it says this, that this man of lawlessness will rise up and oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God and object 
of worship. So this is, again, this beast. The fourth kingdom, and in Revelation 13, 2, the beast shall, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power. His throne gave him great authority. Now, this is, again, just coming right out of Daniel. And if you know Daniel, you're gonna read this Revelation 13 and go, yeah, I already know all of this. This is basically taking the book of Daniel on the, uh, talking about the Antichrist and sort of putting it into one chapter. And remember, most of the book of Revelation is repeating other parts of the Bible. I gave you the statistic at the beginning. I don't remember what it was, but it was close to like 80% of Revelation is actually repeated in other parts of the Bible. So in Daniel chapter seven, verse two to verse eight, it says this. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from another. The first was like a lion, so keep that in mind, and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and was lifted up among the earth and made it stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second one, this is like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. And in verse six here of Daniel seven, now after this I looked and there was another, this is the third, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird and its beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. And in verse seven here now, after this I saw by night vision and behold a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. And this is what we just read a second ago. Huge iron teeth, devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling uh, residue with its feet. And it's different from all the other beasts where before it had 10 horns. And I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them whom three of the first horns were plucked out of the roots. And there this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And so what do we have in this? And this is sort of quickly telling you what you would learn if you study through the whole book of Daniel is that within the history of the world, there, are, there have been four world ruling empires um, within history. The first one is represented here in Daniel, uh, and it's the lion. Now, in, in Daniel chapter two, there was an image, and there were different parts of the image, the head and so forth, and it was also represented in these four kingdoms. We'll talk about that in just one second. But right now, in Daniel seven, you have the, the first kingdom represented by the lion, the picture of a lion, was the Babylonian Empire. And you guys remember that with Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. The second world ruling empire is represented by that of a bear. And it's the Medo-Persian empire. Uh, Persian would be that of uh, Iran today and most likely part of northern Iraq. And uh, and then uh, 
the Medes, the Mediterranean uh, area, uh, which is Iraq. And then the third was the leopard. And that is the picture of the Greek empire, which we're familiar with. And then the fourth, we just call it a beast. And this was the, re, the revived Roman empire. Not the Roman empire, but a, a new empire. Now, here's what we have when we, we look at this. Um, remember in, in Daniel's 10, Daniel's praying and, and God answered his prayer, but it didn't get to him. And finally, Gabriel shows up and said, man, 21 days ago, I had an answer for you and I was coming to deliver it to you, but there was this demonic host, I, I, I think it's fallen angels or angels that sided with Satan and they were fighting with me and I, they wouldn't let me get through to talk to you. And I kept fighting and fighting and fighting and finally, um, Michael showed up and he you know, fought him off so I could come down here quickly Give you the answer, I gotta go back and fight. And the name of this demonic host was uh, a demonic host of Persia, which again, the Persian Empire. And in Ephesians chapter six, it talks about Satan's empire. One of them is called the principalities. So if you've traveled around the world, you, you can go to uh, a country or a city or even a part of a city. And sometimes you can, you, if you have the gift of discernment of spirits, and I think all of us can have it if God gives it to us, you just sort of have a sense of the spirit. Sometimes it's of greed or of lust or of, of murder. Um, it, it's, it's a pretty weird feeling. You know, I, I've, I've uh, had it a few times where I'm standing in line. I remember one time um, standing in line at the, at the post office um, back in the olden days, we used to have these stamps. We used to put them on letters. And Anyway, and uh, I think I was waiting to buy some stamps. And uh, just this spirit of Mormonism just, just put a cold chill right up my back. And it was just a demonic spirit. And I just wrestled with it for a minute. And I thought, well, the Lord gave me this discernment, not just to say, oh, I can sense a Mormon demonic spirit in the presence. I mean, and I turned around and asked the guy, I said, you're, you're Mormon, aren't you? He's like, yeah, how, how did you know that? And he, he wasn't dressed like a Mormon and wasn't carrying his 10-speed or anything. Um, <laughs> there, was no, there was no indicators. And, um, and I began to witness to him. He's like, well, how did you know I was a Mormon? And I was like, well, you really want to know? Um, I sensed a demonic spirit of Mormonism. <laughs> and I turned around and asked you if you were a Mormon. He's like, whoa, you know. But you can sense that. And, and so these demonic spirits um, are principalities as, as well. And so these empires had a spirit, sort of a, a unique demonic way it controlled the world. And so when you, you think of the, the Babylonian empire, there was a demonic spirit to it. Well, that was Satan. And that's how he controlled. And then you say, well, how did he... How did he rule the world as a Greek empire? What was the flavor of Satan in ruling the world at that time? You know, you can ask yourself, you know, what was the flavor of Hitler or the flavor of Mussolini or the flavor of, of the communism of China or Russia? It's, it's a different demonic spirit of how he controlled things. Well, what you have in this fourth kingdom, if you would, it's a combination 
of all four kingdoms together in one demonic spirit. And so if you would, he sort of has all the various ways he has demonstrably, demonically ruled the world, sort of all rolled into one kingdom in which he sort of perfected on how to demonically rule the world. And so this is what we have in the beast. The spirit is that of a revived Roman Empire. Now we're gonna see more about that. If you want, we're gonna look at Daniel chapter two. We're gonna look at quite a bit of this also, so you might just wanna turn in your Bible. But uh, in Daniel chapter two, verse 31 to 45 here, and it says, you, O king, were watching. Now this is where Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he's really distraught about it. He can't sleep, it's overcoming him. And Daniel has the, the interpretation But before he gives him the interpretation, he says, you're gonna have to tell me what the dream was. I don't want you just telling me after I tell you the dream, you come up with some interpretation and I'm doubting it because I have too many con artists in my presence and I I don't want somebody to come in and con me. So Daniel says, well, I'm gonna tell you the dream and I'm gonna tell you the interpretation. So you, O king, were watching and behold a great image and a great image whose splendor was excellent. Now, I, I might just make a note here real quick that we're gonna be seeing, not tonight, but we're gonna see (laughs) that the devil makes an image, but the image actually comes alive. So it's it's just like right out of a horror movie, huh? And uh, so this is, again, all a part of the spirit of Antichrist, uh, of of the devil, of what he would love to to see. But this is sort of tiptoeing in that direction. So there was this great image whose splendor was excellent. It stood before you and his form was awesome. Now this image head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet, this is important, partly iron and partly clay. Now can you picture iron and clay together making a statue with feet? It doesn't make sense, does it? Especially if clay and iron are mixed together to support something out of bronze and silver and gold, that'd be very heavy, wouldn't it? So it's really a a bad, bad design, but this is the best they can do. Well, in verse 34 here of, of Daniel 2, you watched and while the stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image of its feet in iron and clay and broke them in pieces. So there's this giant stone that comes, hits the image and the whole thing just gets shattered. And the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the stone that hit the image grew until it covered the planet. Now this is the dream in verse 36. Now, we'll tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, O king of kings, for the God of heaven is giving you the kingdom, power, strength, and glory. He's talking, talking to Nebuchadnezzar here. And whenever the children of men dwell and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, he has given them into your hand and he has made you ruler over them all and you are the head that is of gold. But after you will arise another kingdom inferior to yours and then another a third kingdom of bronze and shall rule over the earth and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron inasmuch as the iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crushes all the others. In verse 41, 
Whereas you, you saw the feet and toes partly of pottery's clay and partly iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And now, as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, and they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms, and it shall stand forever." Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of mountains without hands and that it was broken pieces and iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. And so this fourth kingdom in Daniel chapter two, which is the revived Roman Empire, not the Roman Empire, but a, a, a type of it, but far more harder, like iron. But also there's some real weaknesses to it. But it's also gonna be similar in spirit to the kingdom we saw in Daniel 7, which was the beast, terrible and dreadful. There's really no way to even describe it like you did the earlier ones, the the bear and, and so forth. But in Daniel 8, 24, it does tell us about the power of this It says his power will be mighty, but it won't be his own power. Now, I do not think Hitler was possessed by Satan himself. It was probably some general demon, uh, you know, maybe 10,000 of them, I don't know. But this world ruling empire is going to be, as we saw in chapter 12, the devil himself possessing this man. In Revelation, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, again, it says this coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with what? All power, signs, lying, wonders. So let's understand here. This fourth kingdom, it's gonna be the spirit of the Roman Empire, but much more. It's gonna have sort of a flavor of all the other world-ruling empires sort of rolled into it. It's gonna be a, a horrible, mean, cruel. You can't even describe how horrible and cruel it's gonna be. It's gonna rule the world with an iron. Interesting, when Jesus comes to rule in millennial reign, he rules with a rod of iron, it tells us in Psalms 2. So Satan's always trying to mimic Jesus in every way he can. But um, it's got some real weaknesses as pottery is mixed with it. But he does have the full package. He's got the, the world empire. He's got the power of the military. He's got the power of the religion and, and the splendor of all signs and wonders and just to cause people to be in awe of him. Now, while you're looking at this amazing creature, now guys, I just, I just want to explain to you again. If Satan were to appear here right now, I don't think you would be repulsed. I think you would be in awe. 
You know, you look at the descriptions in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 38. He calls him the, the, the morning star, perfection of beauty. I think he, he would be some kind of creature that would just be like, whoa, that's beautiful. I can't take my eyes off him. You know, you'd see all kinds of rainbow colors, I think, and shininess and glitter. And, and, and I, I, don't, I don't even know if you would sense evil because he's such a deceiver. And so picture this world emperor with a, just an incredible beauty about him. I'm sure he's gonna take some human being that's incredibly tall and good looking and you know, he's got all of the, the physical attributes that everybody in the world would love to see and then with that, you've got the, the, the sparkle in the eyes of Satan himself. I, I think it's gonna be overwhelming. You know, and, and let's just stop and remember, we learned in chapter 12 that one third of the angels sided with him who were living in heaven with God. I mean, you would just think, nobody, I mean, I'm looking at God upon the throne and I'm listening to Lucifer and I'm, there's no way I'm gonna side with anybody against God. I mean, that's what you would think, right? But that's how good his devil is. He could have you staring at the Lord upon the throne, talking with Jesus face to face, and still deceive you to follow him to war against Christ. I just, I, 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 there's, I, I can't imagine how good of a deceiver he is. It's sort of, and this is again why anybody thinks they can make it through the tribulation period um, and, and not have a hard go of it. Oh, I'll just receive Christ in the tribulation and it'll be hard, but you know, I can live like a sinner now and still go to heaven. I've heard people say that. It's like, I don't think you know what you're up against. Well, notice this in, in verse three here now of Revelation 13, verse three. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was then healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. In Zechariah chapter 11, just looking at the last part of verse 17, um, it says this, talking about this world emperor, this antichrist, it says the sword shall be against his arm, verse 17, skip on down there, um, the, that's good, Go, going back. And uh, there it is. The sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. And then the second part of verse 17. And his arm shall be completely withered and his right eye shall be totally blinded. So you're now, you've got this guy that was, I don't know, maybe a sniper took him out, <laughs> you know, shot him through his eye and everybody thought he was dead and half of his head was blown off and, and, and then again after three days we discover um, all of a sudden he's dead and he's alive. It's, it appears like he was dead. This is again lying signs and wonders and he comes back but he's seriously deformed. He's not this you know, beautiful human specimen he once was. 
He is one, you know, half of his body is, is basically paralyzed. His eye is blinded. He, he's really maimed from this assassination attempt, whatever it was that happened. But notice at the end of verse three here of Revelation three, it seems like all the world marveled and followed him even more intensely. It's their loyalty even grew stronger, if it's possible, than it was before. So now you have this guy that he's got all these lying signs and wonders going on, but now he's, he's this martyr, if you would, and the world loves him more than they ever loved him before. He, he, just, he, he just gives off the air of, of, of a winner, of a hero, you know? It's hard to argue against success. He's, he's the guy that's gonna bring success to the world. And if you follow him, you'll have, and you'll be a part of sharing in that success. Look at verse four there. They worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. They worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war against him? Um, this is the key thing. He, he, he's got this military might. So he's, he's this beautiful creature. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 to 15, it says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves. The word metamorphosis, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. So Satan transforming, metamorphosizing himself as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms, metamorphosizes himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. But again, what's everybody amazed with? Interesting enough, he can make war and nobody can defeat him. Militarily, he is just the supreme power upon the planet. And in Daniel chapter 11, um, verse 38 only, I, I can't read the whole thing. It's time's getting biased here. But in Daniel chapter 11, verse 38, it says, but in their places, he shall honor the God of fortresses. This is the real worship when it comes down to it, the military might, and he loves his military. He loves what he's been able to put together, this world uh, world military power like it's never seen before. Well, in verse five here, verse five and six of Revelation 13, we're gonna, fin- we're gonna stop uh, on verse eight here tonight. But in verse five and six, and he was given a mouth speaking uh, great things and and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth to blaspheme against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So, you know, Satan is deceived. He really believes he's gonna win. At the end of the story, yeah, that's God's version. You read the end of the story, God wins and makes a new heavens and a new earth. But let me tell you the real story. I win God's finished. You know, that's, he believes that. But here at this time, when he gets mortally wounded, appears to raise from the dead, he's now 
somehow perfected his military power like he didn't have before. The world's now worshiping him and admiring him more than they ever did. There's just something that fills Satan where he just becomes so completely self-deceived that it's almost just like, I showed you, God. You know, you can't kill me. You tried. I'm gonna live forever. You know, I'm in control. You're not in control. I'm in control. And look at the world. They're worshiping me more than they ever worshiped you. You know, most of the world never worshiped you. Most of mankind you created have never worshiped you. Most of mankind is gonna be with me forever, not with you, God. And what we can do with the math, (laughs) Satan's sort of right on that point. There's a lot of Satan's accusations that are true. For the most part, man has rebelled against God. But here he now just turns and says, I'm receiving worship from majority of the planet that you never have received, God. And so he begins to mock the tabernacle, which is, you know, the, the he- tabernacle of heaven uh, where the blood of Jesus Christ has been placed. And uh, blasphemy and all the things of God, of heaven and of earth. This is talked about in Daniel chapter nine, verse 27, when it says, then he confirmed a covenant with many for one week. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this. I actually have a teaching called on the week of Daniel. But the word week is actually in the Hebrew uh, a word for a group of seven, for one group of seven or seven years. In the middle of the seven-year period, the middle of the week, three and a half years into it, the 42 months that we've been just, just talked about in verse five, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. So remember, the Jewish temple is gonna get built on the Temple Mount, and it's gonna have a wall dividing between it and the, and the profane. We've talked about this. But now the Jewish system, he shuts down as he goes in and puts himself there and proclaims himself to be God. We've talked about this also. Now on the wing of the abomination, we talked about this, the abomination of desolation shall make, who makes one desolate. Now let me just stop here quickly. This is also talked about a couple of times in Daniel, where in history, there was a guy by the name of Antiochus of Epiphanes. And he came in, um, it's quite a long story, and then it ties into the historical period of the Maccabees, with Jewish history, if you know about it. But anyway, he comes in, he hates Israel, he destroys it. He, He not only takes over the temple, but he puts a statue of Jupiter in there. He takes pig's blood and puts it all over the temple. He kills every Jewish priest he can find. And then he creates his own priest, starts his own religion, Antiochus of Epiphanes, in the temple in Jerusalem. But he does use some of the Judaism with it. But he sort of creates his own religion with a Jewish flavor. It's just demonic. Well, at the end of the story, the, the, the Maccabees starts doing guerrilla warfare and ends up running Antiochus of Epiphanes out. But this guy is a picture of what the Antichrist does. So the Antichrist comes in at the three and a half year period, proclaims himself to be God, but then he stops 
all the Jewish worship to God and he turns it, starts his own Jewish flavored religion to worship him. And this goes on even until uh, the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So that is the second three and a half year period. And so the reason I'm saying this is in verse five, he, these blasphemies are given over. All authority is now given for this 42 months. Now, why is this important? Because look at verse seven. The second three and a half year period of the seven year tribulation period, it's granted to him. So he's full of himself. I'm the ultimate power of the universe. Everybody's worshiping me. God, I'm even above you. And then God just grants him Instead of putting him in his place, he grants him to make war with who? The saints, the believers who are alive on planet Earth at this time, and to overcome them. Remember the 144,000 who had a mark on them and they were protected and so forth? It's all gone now. And plus other believers besides that. And the authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So God now gives him, turns over to him the complete authority of planet earth to him. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, it describes it this way. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancients of the days came, the judgment was made in favor of the saints, the most high, and the time came for the saints to pro, uh, possess the kingdom. So for the whole three and a half year period, he has power. And in Daniel chapter seven, verse 25, he says this way, then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time's time and a half a time, another way to say in three and a half years. In Daniel chapter eight, verse 24, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive and shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. So he has power over all the earth, including the believers. God allows the believers to even be not protected by him in this second three and a half year period. And then to finish up here in verse eight here tonight, and who dwells on the earth shall worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So even though there, it looks like his power is amazing, looks like he raised from the dead, his military might, he's telling everybody he's the ultimate power in the universe and he is God and, and it just appears that nobody's prayer is getting answered. Uh, they're not getting any help from God. They're not getting any strength from God. They're just, it looks like they have no help. That he's right, he is God. And whatever he says goes and he's got fire coming out of heaven, all power, all might, is in his hand. These Christians who were mighty, 144,000 major uh, prophet evangelist guys doing miracles of their own the first three and a half year period, completely shut down. Uh, The Holy Spirit working through them, completely shut down. They're now in the second three and a half year period. They're being beheaded, tortured, put to death. Um, The military power of the Antichrist is growing. His fame is growing. And 
he's basically telling them, you know, why not just take the mark? Why not just become a believer in me? And I'm sure that the, the, the pressure to give in would be something that we cannot even understand. And in verse nine, I'm sorry, I said we're gonna verse eight. Verse nine, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. You know, interesting, in chapter two and three, it, it added to the churches. But here, it doesn't say to the churches. Why? Because they're in heaven. <laughs> the people that are to hear are just people that have become believers in the tribulation period. Let them hear. And again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so, you know, we go back to the, the Revelation 2 and 3, and it was hard. You guys remember that? It was just such a heavy word, you know? You lost your first love. You're lukewarm. You're putting up with compromise. And, you know, I'm gonna end the church. I'm gonna take the, and it was just sort of a, oh man, I get to go to church and get beat up again, you know, and revelation, you know, saying all kinds of bad things. But it, it was a heavy thing of saying, guys, you, you don't want to be compromising, First John 2.28, abide in him, little children. So when he appears, you don't shrink away in shame at his appearing. We want to have confidence. And so again, we, we've got to allow God to burn away the dross. So let the judgment come first in the house of God and to say, Lord, I love that David cried out, God, search my heart. See if there be any evil way in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting life. You know, we need to come to that place. And Jeremiah, he says, I'm gonna pour you from vessel to vessel. You know, at the, at the bottom of the, the wine would be the dross, you know, the leftover stuff. And they'd just leave that in the, and then throw it away and the wine would get pure. And they were complaining, saying, I'm tired of getting poured from vessel to vessel. Stop, it's hurting, it's painful. I'm pure enough. And... Um, and the word of the Lord was, no, no, you're not. I'm gonna keep pouring you from vessel to vessel. And uh, that's really where we're at in these last days. The Bible has warned us repeatedly that we're not gonna wanna hear sound doctrine. We're gonna wanna get our ears tickled. We're gonna wanna just run in the way of the world, live and let live. I'm happy, you be happy. You know, everybody's okay. Everybody's beautiful in their own way. Everybody believes what they believe sincerely is true. You know, it's all like tires, you know, just follow the spoke. They all lead to the hub in the middle. You know, whatever you believe. If you're a Buddhist, it'll lead you to God. If you're a Mormon, it'll lead you to God. If you're a Hindu, it'll lead you to God. We all find God and, you know, all these lies of the enemy to say peace, peace when there's no peace. Set down your sword. Nobody's fighting you. You quit fighting. Just don't be negative. Just be positive and let everybody believe whatever they want and every, you know, just be happy. And we gotta come back and, and say, look at the book of Revelation here. It's very heavy truth. And it's saying, do you have ears to hear? I hope you do. One more verse and we'll end tonight in Revelation seventeen eight. It says, and the beast that you saw was not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit to go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of the life 
from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and was and is not and yet is. But their names are not written in the book of life. And in chapter 20, it, it does say that those who are written in the book of life, um, we definitely want to ask ourselves the question, is our name written in the book of life? And Lord, we just come before you tonight as we are wrestling with these things and realizing that this is not just a simple little story about David killing Goliath, that this is stuff that you have put into detail, much of it in the Old Testament. (laughs) Not just a couple thousand years, but 3,000 years before it would happen how you detailed it out, the spirit of each kingdom before that world kingdom even existed, the type of things that would go on and how Satan is is ruling the world at times and how you bring it to an end. And we see the the final world ruling empire like the fourth, the Roman empire revived with all the various flavors combined into one. And, and you, you tell us that it, it's, he's gonna seem lovely. He's gonna seem wor- like the person to worship. He's gonna seem like the epitome of success and power and beauty. And, and, and it just amazes us that people can be so deceived, be brought into such lies, but yet you, you tell us that the whole world will be uh, like the Sodom and Gomorrah. The whole world would be brought into homosexuality, much like the Roman Empire was. And here we see it now. How good is evil and evil is good. How he's deceived the world now to say if you think homosexuality's wrong or sin, you're evil. <laughs> when you called that an abomination. We, we see it, Lord. We're, the doctrines of demons, as you said, would deceive many and cause them to depart from the living God. We see it happening. And we ask tonight, Lord, that as judgment may first come in the house of God to search our heart, to see if there be any wicked, compromising way in us. Are we willing to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow you? Or are we just wanting an easy believism? I'll go to church as long as I get a front parking place and it's not too long and they're comfortable seating and they don't ask much of me and everybody serves me and uh, Lord, help us. Help us to quit asking for easy believism. You've told us we've got to lose our life in this world, to deny ourselves daily and take up a cross and we just come back right now as we know in the last days, the spirit of this days is gonna be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Lord, if that's seeking into our hearts, heal us, help us, purify us, forgive us. That spirit of sexuality, that spirit of greed, that spirit of bitterness and of anger and of rebellion, lack of submission. Please, Lord, just cause us to have a humble heart and submit one to another in the fear of God. Purify us right now to make us a people of God, 
after your own heart, who do all your will, and we don't leave that place, not even for a second. Right here tonight, Lord, let your Holy Spirit fill us up. And if that's you here tonight, just in the humility and the quietness of your heart, just say, God, forgive me. Heal me. Fill me with your spirit. I don't want to believe the lie. I don't want to be deceived by the spirit of this age. I realize that the devil can take me down. (laughs) He comes as an angel of light, metamorphosized in a deceptive way that I could believe the lie. And I want to believe you, Jesus, and the truth. And please hide your word deep in my heart that I don't sin against you. Forgive me, Lord, if I've been dabbling with the worldly ways. I know it's gonna eventually harden my heart. I don't want it. Cleanse me, purify me, heal me. I submit myself to you tonight, anew and afresh, and in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you guys, and thanks for wrestling through that. And uh, I think the next uh, chapter and a half or some interesting stuff as we get through that, the mark of the beast, and um, come with a mind to love the Lord with all your heart and mind, right? Well, greet at least uh, three people around, give you giant, giant uh, Christian bear hugs, and uh, tell them the Lord loves them, and have a great night. Bye-bye.